Am I there now, Daryl? Okay, good morning. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. One of the cool things that occasionally happens to me is, is that I prepare a message, and most of you know that that kind of wraps up in my office on a Thursday, and then God gets to sometimes teach me that message even after I preach it, or after I study it, and I, before I get to preach it to you, and that kind of happened to me this week, so I'm really excited to open the Word of God this morning because this really hit me hard just in the last couple days, and this is just really good stuff. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had a deep belly laugh? I mean, the, the kind of laugh that you were crying that you really could not control. I mean, like the kind when, when you're not supposed to laugh, but you do like when you're, you're watching somebody and maybe you're with somebody and they like trip on the steps and fall. Yeah, see, John's my kind of guy right there. Yeah, a deep belly laugh. I mean, the kind where you're just like, and then as soon as they walk away, you're like really letting it go. Yeah. We need a good belly laugh every now and then, don't we? It feels good. Let me ask you this one. When was the last time you laughed in a mocking way to make fun of somebody? Mm. Or you laughed at, 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 their, at their misfortune? Not as great of a feeling, is it? Not as great of a feeling. Our text today, Genesis chapter 21, has two occasions of laughter. Two occasions of laughter. And one is a really good occasion for laughter, one is a not-so-good occasion for laughter. But, but both are there, and, and, and we want to see them this morning. But we also want to see this morning how God uses what we would see as hard, negative, unwanted events and circumstances. How many of you have hard, unwanted events that hit your life? If you're alive, that happens, doesn't it? How God uses those hard, negative, unwanted events and experiences for our good and His glory. Now, many times in our lives, we don't get the opportunity to see how that's good for God's glory and for our good, do we? We don't always get to see that. But in the pages of Scripture, we see it over and over. And, and this morning, we're going to see it in Abraham's life, how God takes something really hard really hard, and he uses it for good. How many of you know what a tapestry is? Tapestry, it's, it's something done in fabric or in thread, and, and, and on the one side of the tapestry, there's a picture, right, that's usually being portrayed, right, in a tapestry. How many of you ever looked at the back side of a tapestry? It is nasty and gnarly, isn't it? It's nasty and gnarly. There's knots, there's threads going everywhere, there, there's stuff that looks like it's snagged, and, and there's a bunch of loose stuff hanging there, here and there. You would never hang up a tapestry with the, with the backside hanging out, right? I think that's a lot of the way that life is. Life on this side of eternity is like the backside of a tapestry. It really is. I mean, we, we see knots, we see threads that just don't seem to make sense. Why is this one going there? And, and, and sometimes we're tempted to just kind of grab and pull, aren't we? And, and life can be that way. But every once in a while, 
even on this side of the tapestry, God's light kind of shines through, and we get, a, we get a little glimpse of what the other side looks like, don't we? Every once in a while. From God's perspective, though, is it a beautiful picture? Church, from God's perspective, is it a beautiful picture? Always, right? Because he does everything beautifully and well, right? From our perspective, sometimes it's really ugly. It's painful. It's confusing. And, and, and let's just sometimes just say this. It's, there's like there's no order whatsoever here. Like this makes absolutely zero sense. Anybody else found life to be that way at times? Yeah. So this morning, we want to come to a familiar account of Scripture. And there's always a danger in doing that because we can go into Sunday school mode. You know what that is, right? You're like going into, you're getting all the answers before time and like, yeah, I know this is what he's going to talk about next. So this is what he's going to talk about. And then like, okay, 45 minutes, we're done, out, let's go get lunch, right? Meet you at Wendy's, right? Let's not do that this morning. We need fresh eyes. We need perspective this morning. We just sang about how firm a foundation <laughs> is laid for you, saints, and where? Where's our foundation laid, church? It's in his word, right? So, so what we're doing here this morning is foundational. This is something that we need to bolster us up. So Genesis chapter 21, we're going to read down through verse 21 this morning. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. That's a good, deep, big belly laugh, isn't it? And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Just stop there. Imagine going to the church nursery, right? And there's all these young mothers, and they're all sitting there, and they're comparing little recipes and things like this. And, oh, your baby's so cute. I love that outfit. Da, 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 da. And in walks a 100-year-old woman, and you're like, are you here to hold babies? No, I'm here to nurse my baby. Give me a rocking chair. Right? You laughed, right? Verse 8, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Different kind of laugh, mocking laugh, like, <laughs> so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of the, your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. And every wife is like, amen. <laughs> for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray this morning. Father, oh, we don't need another Sunday school lesson, God. We don't need just trivial facts this morning. We need to see this as your living word. We need to see it with fresh eyes. We need you to give us perspective this morning. And we need truth. And we need it desperately because we live in a world filled with lies. Every day there are more lies being showered upon us. And how desperately we need your truth. Make your truth known to us. Give us hearts to receive your truth. Give us hearts to believe your truth. Give us hearts to live out your truth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first we want to see that this laughter, this first laughter was promised. Keep your finger here. Go back a couple pages in your Bible to chapter 17. Go back to chapter 17. And in verse 19, we have the promise of this happening. God says there, verse 19, God said, but no, but your Sarah, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you will call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. In other words, the covenant I made with you, Abraham, is going to transfer to Isaac and it's just going to keep going, but it's going to be through Isaac that I'm going to make this covenant. That name Isaac means he laughs. This promise was met with laughter, was it not? We just saw it as I read it. This promise was met with laughter by both Abraham and Sarah. Remember, whenever the promise was given, Abraham just like chuckled and laughed like, how can this be? I'm an old dude. And remember, Sarah, when she heard the promise, she wasn't right there whenever it was given. She was kind of like in the tent, kind of behind the tent door, and she laughed. And and the angel of the Lord said, who laughed? And she basically said, I didn't laugh. And he's like, oh, no, you did. You did laugh. But what I want you to see at the beginning of this is the faithfulness of our God. And I want you to catch a couple key words. If you mark in your Bible, get ready. These are important words to mark. Look at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as what? What's the next words? As he had said. Keep going. And the Lord did to Sarah what? As he had promised, keep going. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. When? At the time of which God had spoken to him. Do you see something in these first two verses that, that really is important to all of us this morning? When God tells us something, you and I had better take it to the bank because it's going to happen. We had better believe when God tells us something, we had better believe that it's going to happen. Now, let me bring you some perspective to that verse 2, at the time of which he had spoken. I don't know about you, 
But when someone makes me a promise, I am very eager for them to keep the promise. Anybody else? You make me a promise, I'm expecting you to keep that promise, right? I expect you to keep it soon. I expect you to keep it perfectly. But I don't expect you to hold me to that standard either, though. Okay, just that's what I expect of you, right? This promise was given some 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Those of you who can in this room, think back 25 years. Think back 25 years. Where were you 25 years ago? Can you imagine waiting all that time for God to do something? 25 years. And they are waiting, not always patiently, but they're waiting. And I want you to just notice, and it's no mistake here, just notice the juxtaposition here between what we saw last week with Abraham and what we see today with God in chapter 21. Last week in chapter 20, we saw Abraham at his worst, did we not? We saw him being faithless to God, did we not? We saw him, we saw him just totally swinging and whipping, right? And what do we see in chapter 21? In spite of Abraham going back and repeating a sin that that he had repeated before in his life, in spite of, of him totally missing an opportunity to bring glory to God, in spite of all of these things, what does God do in chapter 21? He keeps his word. And you know what? That gives me hope, friend. How many of you swung and missed this week? How many of you has God been faithful to? Yeah, it's really clear that it's recorded for us that God's faithful, he'll keep his word, and he'll do what he says. And so you say, what does that mean for me today, PD? Because God hasn't come and promised me, you know, that I'm going to be the father of a great nation. God hasn't promised me this. But, but I want you to stop and think for a second all that God has promised you. I'm just going to ask you these questions to get you thinking. Where does God make his promises to you, church? Hello? Where does God make his promises to you? In his word, does he not? And so anytime that you and I can, can sit down and interact with the word, is it God speaking to us then, church? So God's speaking to us through his word. And so even like when I read Psalm 62, like we did this morning, will I find God making promises to me there? For instance, even as we were reading it together and then as we were singing it together, um, I was just thinking there, God has promised to be my rock and my fortress. Has he not? Has he promised to be your rock and your fortress? Yes, he has. Is he going to keep that church? Did he keep his word to Abraham and to Sarah? So, so when I need, when I need someone that I can cling to, whenever the storms of life are going on around me, can I go to the rock? Can I run into the fortress? Yes. When I read in the word of God that he's never going to leave me or forsake me, is that just some kind of existential promise or is that really truth, church? It's really truth. Do I always feel like he is right there with me? No, I don't. But here's the promise, he's there with me, he's not forsaking me. When I read in the word of God that he promises to me that he's working all things together for my good, 
is that truth, church? Even when it's a negative thing, church? When I read that he's going to prepare a place for me, and our world just seems to be getting worse and worse and getting further and further in the basket that's headed to Hades, is Jesus still preparing a place for me? Yeah, he is. Can I say this to you? Can I just encourage you greatly in this? Get in front of the word of God because there you hear the voice of God. And as you get in front of the word of God, make it a point to make a note of the promises that God is giving to you in his word. Write them down. Record them somehow. Put them on your phone. Do something with them. Write them down. Note what they are. Believe them. And then, and then live like they're really going to happen because they are. It's not enough just to believe that God's promised these things and just have this pie-in-the-sky hope that, no, if we really believe that Christ is preparing a place for us, will we live differently today and tomorrow? Will we be afraid of what's happening in the world around us? No, we will not. We will not. Will we, will we take stands that are unpopular in the world that we live in today? We will. Why? Because guess what? This world is just a temporary place where I'm living. God has promised me in his word that Christ is preparing a place for me. I'm going to stand for righteousness because guess what? The worst thing that can happen to me on this earth is that I get there quicker. And so this week, as this week ended, I found myself in the middle of the night preaching this message to me because God had put me in a circumstance where I, all I had was his promise. And I say that like that's a bad thing. Like, like all I had was his promise. Instead of saying it like this way, when, when what I had was his promise, <laughs> right? And that's all I need, right? And every once in a while, God does something just to remind us how powerful he is, and he did in my life. And I want to tell you, Saturday morning, all I could do was just in my heart, just laugh. Man, God, it's really, you really are faithful. You really are good. But before we leave this account of Sarah having Isaac, I want you to see just how powerful God is. I want you to see it. Look at verse 5. As if we had forgotten, Moses just puts a little commentary in here for us. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Okay? Just, just in case we forgot that, right? And then verse 6. God has made laughter over me, Sarah says. He, for everyone who hears, will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would what? Nurse children. Not just that she had a baby, he so restored her life and her youth to her, she was able to nurse babies. Like, PD, that's kind of gross on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Thank you for making me think about that. Isn't that just a miracle that only God would do? Not just you're going to have the baby, you're going to be able to take care of the baby too. And on top of that, if we were fast forward to, to chapter 25, we would find out that after Sarah dies, Abraham takes another concubine, makes her his wife, and he fathers six sons in his old age. Who makes that power? Who makes that, that possible, church? God does. 
Now, in my mind, Abraham, you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> you don't need young kids when you're over 100 years old running around. Right? But notice the power of God. When he restores their youth, he really restores their youth, doesn't he? But this isn't the only laughter in this passage. There's a second laughter. What's interesting to notice, and I don't know if you caught this when we were reading this, the main part of this text now, from verses 8 through 21, the main character in all of this is never named. Who am I talking about? Ishmael. His name is never mentioned here. It's clearly who it is. But you see in verse 9, verse 8, Abraham's going to throw a party. He's going to throw a party, right? And he's going to throw a party because Isaac, the promised one, is now weaned from Sarah, right? It's a big deal. He's going to throw this big party. Now, elsewhere in the chapter here, Ishmael is referred to as a child. And if you're not reading it carefully, it looks like, in fact, skip down to me with me to verse 14. When, when Abraham sends him away, it looks like that Abraham picks up little Ishmael and puts him on Hagar's shoulder as she leaves. Ishmael is probably 16 or 17 years old, okay? 16 or 17-year-old. Picture in your mind a 16-year-old boy, a 17-year-old boy, okay? You, okay, there's some teen boys in the room. I've got to be careful here, but let's just talk about teen boys for a second. He doesn't pick up his room. He stinks a little bit. He's dealing with acne, right? It's a 17-year-old kid. Every man in this room, you were there, right? Some of us still haven't grown out of it. He's starting, to get, he's starting to get some stubble. He's starting to start thinking, like, you know what, it's time to grow that beard, right? And he's also thinking independently, isn't he? He's starting to think, it's, it's time for me to leave home. And in fact, men, young men who are 16 and 17 in this day, this is when they went out to make their way. That's who we're dealing with here. Go back to verse 9 now, and let's put this in context. For 13 years of Ishmael's life, was he the apple of his father's eye? Was he, church? Yes, for 13 years. Those of you who are fathers who have sons, you understand what's going on here for 13 years, don't you? Everywhere Abraham goes, who's he taken with him? Taking Ishmael. Ishmael, this, this is how we breed this certain kind of sheep. This is how we produce this kind of goat. Hey, hey, guess what? We're going out. We're, the, we're lambing today. Guess what? Ishmael, Ishmael this, this is the year that you get to deliver some lambs. Let's go. Let's go do this. For 13 years, it has been Abraham and Ishmael. Do you think they got close? Do you think they were close? You think Abraham loved him dearly? You think Ishmael loved his dad? Yeah. Then three years ago, prior to this verse right here, approximately three, two and a half, three years ago, another son was born, and all of a sudden, I'm not the center of attention anymore. All of a sudden, Ishmael is, is like, he, he's, yeah, he's still the son, but, but he's not the son, right? And it says here in verse 9 that he was laughing. 
Galatians chapter 4 and verse 29 gives us a little context of what was going on here. In Galatians 4.29, we find out that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Literally, he was harassing and troubling him. Like, what a punk. What a 16-year-old punk picking on the little toddler. Right? Why? He's jealous, right? He's jealous. You have replaced me. You, you, you have, you, this is sibling rivalry at its worst here, right? Ishmael has been replaced as the favored one. And don't you think that Sarah doesn't know? Sarah is a mama bear. How many of you women in here are mama bears? Yeah, she's a mama bear. She's a mama bear. And look at verse 10. She says to Abraham, can you just hear? Can you just hear the venom in her voice? She sees how her son, Isaac, the promised one, she knows he's the promised one, is being mistreated by Hagar's son. Hagar's son. Now, we already know, are, are, are Hagar and Sarah best buddies? Not at all. In fact, I like to think of it this way. I don't know. This is, this is divine imagination, so don't. On, on, on Abraham's compound, wherever he went, when they, when they pitched the tents... Sarah was over on this side, and Hagar was way over here, right? So that they would, would possibly not have to cross paths. But now we have this big party, and everybody is expected to come to this big party, right? And she's seeing, she's seeing her son being mistreated. Let's not mistake something here. Because God tells Abraham to listen to his wife in this case, does that justify Sarah's actions? No. Sarah's not righteous in this, okay? She's a vengeful mama bear woman, right? And notice what she says. You cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Could she have been any clearer? Get him out now. No different than if she had walked in to, to Abraham's room in his tent and said to him, I want him gone tomorrow. And I want his mom gone too. Not going to stand it. It's understandable from a mama bear perspective, is it not? Mother's in the room. Any, any mother here arguing with Sarah for the way she handled that? It's understandable, but notice how it affects Abraham in verse 11. The ESV says it was displeasing to Abraham. That word displeasing in the Hebrew, it, it, it made him angry with his wife. Why? That should give you an indication of how he felt about Ishmael, right? He still loves Ishmael. Ishmael is still really important to him. Ishmael is still, is still his oldest son. He's still the one that, that he showed him all these things and he raised him up. And he's about ready to turn him over to go make his own way in life. He doesn't want to kick him out a day sooner than he has to. He had a bond with this young man. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes that night as he, as he lays in, sleeplessly in his tent. On the one hand, he knows that Isaac is the promised son, and he knows that Sarah is probably right on this, and on the other hand, 
he loves this kid, Ishmael, right? I want you to see God's grace in this. Verse 12, God comes and speaks to him. Don't be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, verse 12, you do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, he makes one statement of truth here to him, right? It's through Isaac now. Remember, remember, Abraham, it's through Isaac. But he also says this in verse 13. And by the way, Ishmael's not chopped liver. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Is this the first time that God has promised this about Ishmael? No. Go back to chapter 17. Whenever, whenever Isaac's birth is announced, go back to chapter 17. We read verse 19 earlier in the message, right? Let's read verse 20 now. Let's read verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall be father twelve, or he shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Abraham is this great man of faith, but did Abraham forget God's promise here in the, in the heat of the moment? Did he? Guess what? We will do that too. In, in the heat of life, in the circumstances of life, when, when life is beating down hard on us, we will forget. And you know what God does? He loves us enough, he's gracious enough to come remind us. One of the tendencies that we have when we're in the heat of life, I, or maybe it's just me, and I'll just preach to myself, none of this applies to you. But one of the tendencies I have in the heat of life is, is I tend to neglect God's word. I tend to neglect praying because I want to feel, woe, if woe is me. I want to feel sorry for myself. Does anybody else share that? And in doing that, I am doing exactly the opposite thing that I need to be doing. Because when I am in a situation where, where I am doubting the promises of God, who do I need to hear from more than anyone, church? Counsel me. Who do I need to hear from? I need to hear from God. And where am I going to hear from him, church? In his word. You say that like you understand that, like you've had to live that out yourself. Gotcha. Abraham's in great emotional distress. The God who gave him Isaac is now, and the one who was promised through Isaac, is now asking him to give up Ishmael. But I want you to see that after God reaffirms it, Abraham acts in faith in verse 14, doesn't he? The very next morning, he gets up, and what's he do? Now, the way that Moses writes this and records this for us, you don't get much tenderness and much emotion here, but can you imagine how gut-wrenching that must have been? For Abraham, he sends him away and he knows, he knows in his heart, I'm never seeing you again. And so he sends them on their way. But God's grace isn't done here yet. There's grace for Hagar and there's grace for Ishmael here as well, isn't there? So they go and they head into the wilderness, right? It makes sense that they head into the wilderness because Hagar, the first time she ran, where did she go? She ran into the wilderness. She's trying to get back to Egypt, right? She's trying to get back to her homeland. She, she, she knows that if she can't make it here with Abraham, she's going to have to go back to where people know her, right? Problem is, they get out there, and the water's gone. They can't find a well. Their food's gone. 
and, and you don't last very long in the desert in the desert heat without water and food. And so in verse 16, we see desperation. She takes, in verse 15, she takes, she takes Ishmael and she puts him away from her under a bush and she walks away because she can't bear to watch her son die. Is that pretty desperate? Moms, is that pretty desperate? And what's interesting is, I don't know if you caught this, I tried to emphasize it as, as I was reading, who is it recorded in verse 16 that's doing the talking? It's Hagar, right? And, and she lifted up at the end of verse 16 her voice and wept, and then in verse 17, whose voice does God hear? She hears Ishmael, he hears Ishmael's voice. Now, that's not an encouragement for mothers to not pray. But what that is, is just the ear of God listening. This is the boy who was mocking and laughing just the day before, was he not? Funny how a day, just a day, will humble you. Right? Funny how just, in just a short time, God will humble you. He, he's not laughing, he's not mocking anymore. He's crying out to God. And then God, when he hears the voice of the boy, he now comes and notice who it is in verse 17 it's the angel of god who is that church it's jesus it's jesus calls from heaven to hagar she should recognize this voice she heard it once before in the wilderness she should recognize this voice and the question comes, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And, and he gives her instruction, go, go to the boy, lift him up, hold him up, support him. I'm going to make him a great nation out of him. And then verse 19, what does God do? He brings her to a well, exactly what she needs in the moment. We shouldn't be surprised, because remember the first time that she got in there, how did she name God? The God who what? Sees. And Ishmael's name means the God who hears. But there's further grace in this that I want you to see. There's further grace. Think with me about Abraham for a second. How many of you are people like this? How many of you are the planner types in the room? Planner types. Like to make plans. When you make your plans, how many of you make a plan A and a plan B? Some of you even go as far as to make a C, right? Contingencies, right? Because we've got to have contingencies, you know, you know, you know, like we're going on vacation, we're going to plan to get this far, but if we don't, we're just going to, we're going to get a room in this town because we might not be able to make it the next hundred miles, we'll just cancel it on the way or whatever, right? There are people like that in the world. I don't understand you, but there are people like you in the world, okay? Abraham was a big plan B guy. How do I know that? When he left his homeland, his plan B, his plan A was to follow God. His plan B was, when we get ourselves in trouble, Sarah, here's what we're going to do, right? When we get in a situation where, where, where people are going to come after you and see that you're a beautiful woman, our plan B is what? You're my sister. Right? He's a plan B kind of guy. Abraham always has, if you will, that one card in his pocket that he knows he can play. When God gave him Ishmael, 
he was Abraham's plan B all along, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Okay, God, I know you're promising me, Isaac. I know, I know it's going to be my son, and it's going to come through Sarah. I know you've said this, but in case you need a little help, I've got a plan B, God. Like, before we condemn Abraham, you and I go through life the same way. We get our little plan Bs lined up in case you might need any help, God. I know you're dealing with stuff over in the Ukraine, and I know that, that, that stuff's going on in other parts of the world. You might need a plan B, and I've got one, God, here for you. God in his grace does what with Abraham's plan B? What does he do with Abraham's plan B? Doink! It's gone. How many of you have gone through some hard things where you've lost relationships, where you've lost some security, you lost some health, you lost some other things in your life? You know sometimes why God does that? It makes the tapestry look really bad, doesn't it? God does it so he gets rid of our plan B's so that we won't trust our plan B's and we'll trust him, our plan A. And let's be honest, when God takes away relationships out of our life and people out of our life, it never usually feels very good, does it? In fact, it kind of rots, doesn't it? And it looks like the back of a tapestry. It looks confused. It looks ugly. It looks without order. And yet from God's side of it, he's like, no, this is beautiful. This is exactly what I intended to do because you don't need a plan B. You have a perfect plan A and I'm not going to fail you. What a God of grace. When God is taking away things from us, we have to trust that he's doing it for our good because he always is working for our good and his glory. You and I don't need a plan B. His way is exactly what we need. We need to be like Abraham and be obedient when God calls us to let go of the plan B. Again, do you think it was easy for Abraham to let go of his plan B? It was hard. It was really hard to let go of the plan B. And we see God's grace to those who are in need and those who are in desperate situations. And let me say this morning, there is nothing more desperate, there is nothing absolutely more desperate and hopeless than being under the sentence of sin, is there? There is nothing more desperate or hopeless than to be under the sentence of sin. It's a sentence of death. And the same God who came and saved Ishmael's life sent his son so that your life and my life might be saved. I was thinking about this. What did God provide for Ishmael? He provided a well, didn't he? He provided exactly what he needed. And it got me to thinking about Jesus in John chapter 4. Where was Jesus in John chapter 4? At a well. You remember what he said to the woman at the well? He basically just said this, I am the living water that springs up to eternal life. I can give you water that you will never need a drink of again. And that is true, and that's true for me. Is that true of you? Christ is the living water. 
I don't need a plan B. I don't need another well. I have him. And Jesus is the Savior. And just as he responded to the plea of Ishmael, he tells us this in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. And so this morning, if you know the desperation of having that sin hanging over you, I would say to you, go to the well. Go to the well that is Christ. And if you're here this morning clinging to your plan B, here's what I know that God does because he's gracious and he loves us. If we're really clinging to that thing too hard, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take it away because he loves us that much. He loves us enough to take away our plan B. Why? Because it's not because our plan B was terrible. Usually plan Bs are pretty good plans, right? But the plan A, he himself and his plan for our life makes the plan B just pale in comparison. The hymn writer wrote it this way, I'd rather have Jesus than houses and lands. I'd rather be led by his hand. Is that where you are today? Would you rather have Jesus? Would you rather have him than anything else that you have in this world? Anything else that you cling to so tightly? Family, health, your job, your bank account, the fact that people respect you. Those are all things that can go away just like that, can't they? You and I can't do anything to get Jesus to go away. If, we're his, if, we, are, if we are saved by him, you and I can't drive him away. He's always there. So, I hope this brings you some fresh perspective to this passage. The pain of losing Ishmael was just God's way of saying, you don't need a plan B, you have me. You have me. Father, before we leave this place, I just pray that you would quiet our hearts to recognize that you are the perfect plan. You, you are the plan A and we need no other plan. For those in this room that can't say that because they don't have you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus. I pray that today you would do a work in their heart, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, that, that they would run to the cross, that they would run to the living water and drink so that they would never be thirsty again. For those of us, though, in this room who are your children, forgive us for holding on to our plan B's. Forgive us for treasuring the plan B's more than we treasure you, the greatest plan A. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for seeing it clearly on the pages of Scripture. And, and while we look at our lives as tapestries that are just one really ugly mess at times, thank you for this reminder that no matter how bad the tapestry looks from our perspective, you are making something beautiful. Continue to make something beautiful out of our messy lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.